The reading for this morning comes from the book of Mark. Um, we'll be skipping a, a, a small section, but looking at verses 53 to 65 this morning. But we will be looking at the whole section as an overview from 33, but our main focus will be on verse 53 to 65, Mark 14, verse 53 to verse 65. And it reads, They took Jesus to the high priests and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this, uh, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will be built another, not made by hands. Yet even there, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Against the high priest, again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah? the Son of the Blessed One. I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. Let's pray together as we enter, as we look into his word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make your word clear this morning. I pray especially for the little ones who are joining us, that they would truly understand this and the implication that, that this has for their lives, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me, help me to be clear to your people this morning, and help them to see, Lord, 
that you are the one who, gave your, who gives your life up for the salvation of the world. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Evangelism, that is speaking to someone about Jesus, is very hard, isn't it? It's very difficult. Apart from being just scary, it is difficult because it can feel very discouraging. And I know I, I'm a pastor, and that is my job, to speak to people. Many times, as I go around the community, as I speak to people who come visit here at church, as I get in touch with those who have come to visit us and ask them questions about Jesus or milk them over coffee, you find that people don't want their lives to be interrupted by Jesus. People don't really, they don't want to be told what, how to live, either by Jesus or by the messenger of Jesus. Many times, they, they, Jesus, as you present him before others, he is rejected. He is rejected more than he is accepted, I'd venture to say. He can be perceived as, uh, so coming to Christ can be perceived as an attempt to stifle life instead of giving it. And those who are going out and sharing the gospel can be discouraged. This discouragement, I want to encourage us this morning, should not stop us from testifying about God's grace. Because we have a Savior in Mark who too was rejected. But it did not stop him from witnessing about what God has done. We have a Savior who has been rejected right from the beginning. From Mark chapter 2. As he came and healed someone and people saw that he is indeed the son of God. As people heard that, they rejected him, wanting nothing to do with Jesus or his gospel. We have seen in the section that we'll be looking at this morning, um, since we started again in Mark, beginning in chapter 11, as Jesus entered the town of Jerusalem, going there to die, we have seen people rejecting him, especially those who are in the ruling elite. In the passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He has entered there in preparation for the Passover, as we saw um, last week for the festival. He, is there with, he was there with the disciples and sitting with them and predicted that he was not only going to be betrayed by one of his men, but he's going to be deserted by some of them. They're all going to scatter when Jesus is being taken by the, the ruling elite in Jerusalem. We saw in, since chapter 3, that the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, or sometimes called the Sanhedrin, in the text before us this morning, they have been looking for a way to kill Jesus, to get rid of him. Because he threatens not only their position as rulers, but he threatens peace and order in Jerusalem. 
We saw it right in the beginning of chapter 14. They've been looking for a way to kill him, to get rid of him. And then later on in in verses 10, 11, we see that the the way for them to get rid of him appears. Judas provides that way. He comes to them and he says, I am willing to betray Jesus that he had been with for three years. And the teachers of the law, they rejoiced at this because they had no medium of uh, uh, of actually getting to Jesus before this. Now they had a way. And we saw last week that Jesus was sitting with people that he knew were going to betray him. One of them had already been part of the plot in Judas. But as we saw last week, he was sitting with people that he knew that some of them are going to defect. Some of them are going to turn away from Jesus. They're going to say, I don't know him. Jesus stands alone in this dark hour. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be uh, deserted, even by the likes of Peter and John, who are saying, not I, I would never do it. And then we see in verses 33 to 50, with, G- with Judas coming, identifying Jesus as foretold in the Old Testament by betraying him with a kiss. We see the disciples who are with Jesus at his darkest hour. They cannot even stay awake with him to pray with him. He is He is alone in this. That's what you are meant to see in this text. He is alone in achieving the work of salvation. He is alone in his commitment to God. He stands alone. If you thought the disciples were good, they are going to desert him. And in in the hour of need, they are not even going to Stay awake with him. So, as predicted, Jesus is arrested and the disciples scatter. They run. Some without clothing. So now, as we get to the passage we're going to be looking at this morning, in verses 53 to 59, the first thing that I want us to see there is that according to the ruling elite, according to the Pharisees and teachers of of the law, Jesus has to die one way or another. Jesus has to die. Verses 53 to 59. We We see that they take Jesus to the high priests and the chief priests and the elders and teachers of the law. They come together to basically form a, 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 a court to, to condemn Jesus. And you see Peter in verses 54, he followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat to the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests 
and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any evidence. These people have resolved that Jesus has to die. We saw that from verse 1 of chapter 14. Uh, therefore, it means that even this court system, this uh, trial that is happening here, is just a um, pretense. It's a mirage. It's not real. They've already committed that they're going to um, kill him. They already want him dead. This trial that is happening here is just procedural. They want to do it in such a way that they don't look bad, that the community rebels against them. Indeed, they arrested him in the cover of darkness. Not in the middle of the day for people to see. For as multitudes who have been following him and believing in his message to see what is happening. Therefore, they arrest him in the middle of the night, in the cover of darkness, to indicate that they are in cahoots with the Lord of darkness. However, they could not just kill Jesus in a Roman Empire without a trial. So therefore they set up this trial. And they start looking for evidence against Jesus. And you see at the end of verses 54 that they could not find any evidence. So what, what is the next best thing? Is that they bring uh, witnesses against Jesus. Because you cannot just put someone to death without witnesses, according to Deuteronomy 17. A person who was put to death, there had to be two or more witnesses there for the person to be declared um, guilty and put to death. And the witnesses come and they are not in sync as they testify. We see in verses 56 that many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. And then some stood, stood up and gave this false testimony against him. Here's the testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this, te this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another, not made with hands. So there are others who are saying things about Jesus, who are not even told what they said, because they could not agree. And then you have others who are coming to, um, to, to, to this false court, as it were. And they are saying, Jesus told, they have heard him say, that I will destroy this temple made by human hands. But Mark tells us that this too is false. How is it false? Because it's not what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, I will, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. Jesus, as a matter of fact, if you look at John chapter 2, verses 19, he says, destroy this temple. And then in three days, I will raise it up. 
He did not say he himself will destroy it. He said he will raise it up. They should destroy it. And, and what Jesus was saying here it was um, sort of ambiguous. It was ambiguous for a reason. Jesus did not want his death to happen quickly. So therefore, when he spoke about himself, he called himself the Son of Man. When he spoke about the destruction of the temple in Mark chapter 10, he, uh, the, he exemplified it with the fig tree that withered and died. He did not say he was going to destroy the temple himself, but he asked the leaders to destroy the temple and he will raise it up on the third day. As a matter of fact, he was the good guy in this declaration. He wasn't saying, I'm going to come and destroy the temple. No. He was saying, I'm going to raise it up in three days. So therefore, as these people are giving this testimony, it just doesn't, um, doesn't sink. There are contradictions, there are lies, there are inconsistencies. And the teachers of the law are frustrated at this. They ask him, what do you, what do you have to say to this accusation about the temple? Jesus says nothing. They need to pin him down if they are going to, pay, to, to kill him. They need to pin him down to an offense that is deserving of death. They think that they have the power to kill him. That it is by their will that Jesus should die. But as you see in, 50, in 53 to uh, 59, they tried their best and got nowhere. Because what Mark wants us to see Yes, even though these people, these teachers of the law, are, being, uh, 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 are wanting to have Jesus die at the cross, we've been told from Mark chapter 8 that Jesus was, was already going to die at the cross. So therefore, what Mark doesn't want us to do, he doesn't want us to attribute the death of Jesus to just the angry teachers of the law and Pharisees. He wants us to see that Jesus lays down his life willingly. It's his decision to die. It is by his will that he dies. We see that in verses 60 to 65 of the text this morning. Verses 60, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent about the destruction of the temple. And then again, the high priest asked Jesus. Now the attention moves away from the questions that he, um, from the accusations they've been trying to pin on him. They even move away from the questions about the temple. He asks him directly, 
Are you the Messiah? The son of the blessed one. By that he means, he means that are you the one that, the, that Israel has been waiting for? Are you the savior? The savior king that you've been waiting for? The one prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 9 and 53. Are you the suffering servant of Isaiah? Are you the son of the blessed one? The blessed one day, you mean God. And Jesus answers them. This is 62. I am, Jesus said. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This becomes then the decisive reason for having Jesus put to death. As you can see here, Jesus is in complete control of what is happening. It is by his admission that he condemns himself to death. He wants, he wants them to know something as they put him to death, that he is indeed the Son of God. That he is indeed the Messiah that they, that, that they have been waiting for. He has not answered those other questions. He has not corrected them when they spoke about the temple. But in this moment, Jesus is testifying not only to, uh, to us who are now reading about this, is to, so that you can now see the reason why he was put to death, because he was God who had come to save. But he's also testifying to those who are putting him to death as well, about who he is. He does not deny his identity to save his life. He says, I am. And the next thing we see the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the, the chief priests, I mean, tearing his clothes in anger. Then how could he say this? Because is Jesus the response uh, uh, saying, I am? He is linking himself to the name of God. As told to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses asked, who shall I say, sent me? And God said, I am who I am. So Jesus comes and he says, I am. He's not just admitting to what they're asking. He's telling them who he is. That he is God in flesh. And a Jewish person, being the chief priest here, is, is greatly offended by this. And Jesus goes further. He says, not only am I the son of God, I am God in, fle in flesh. He answers not only the second part of the question, being the son of the blessed one. 
He goes further. He says, no, I am God himself. And at this, the chief priest becomes angry. And it is because of this reason that Jesus is is condemned to death. And it also indicated that Jesus is condemned to death of his own admission. He is in complete control here. He is demonstrating to us what he said to the disciples in, in, uh, in John chapter 10. And speaking about him being the, uh, the shepherd of the sheep. He said, the reason my father loves me is because I lay down my life and only to take it up again. He lays down his life. His life is not taken from him unwillingly. By telling them who he is, he is condemned to death. So that he dies not as a uh, squandered, He dies not as a criminal. So that he dies not as a false teacher or he dies because he claimed to be God himself. He claims to be the savior that Israel has been waiting for. And there is another irony in Jesus' death is that the, the Romans put a sign on top of the cross saying Jesus, King of the Jews. Saying that to mock him, they put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him. But the irony is that he is the King of the Jews. He is the promised King. He is God in flesh. He is God who has come to lay down his life to save others. So, in contrast, therefore, to, uh, to Judas, who, is, who has basically deceived Jesus and had him arrested, in contrast to uh, Peter, who is there sitting with the, with the guards in the fire, who deserts Jesus and denies him and denies his association with himself. Jesus admits who he is to the face of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He is in this hour the faithful one in the midst of unfaithfulness. He is the one who is true in the midst of spiritual weakness. He's the one who lays down his life for his friends who have now scattered and deserted him. Mark, what Mark wants us to see, he doesn't want us to sort of hero-worship the disciples. He doesn't want us to, to admire them um, and, make, and, and, and portray them as if they were supernatural. He wants us to see that they are human beings 
They're like you and I, imperfect, sinful, who turned their backs on the Lord. And he wants us to see Jesus being faithful to the mission that he had come into the world to achieve. He wants us to see Jesus as the hero of the narrative of salvation. He wants us to see Jesus as the savior of not only those who, tr who would trust in him later on, after he had risen from the dead, but also as the savior of those who had deserted him. The savior of the sinful world. Unfaithful world. Betraying world. He wants us to see Jesus as the savior. He wants to elevate him. Is the one who is above the rest. Is the one who is sui generis, the Latin says. As God Himself. God enacting a plan of salvation through Jesus. So, therefore, He wants us to see that despite. Um, what is happening to him, he is in absolute control of what is happening. He is allowing what is happening to happen to him. He's not a victim here. He is on a mission, on a mission to save the world. So therefore, those of us who are reading about this now, we are, should be encouraged to trust in him. To trust that only he could do it. Not the disciples. To trust that only he could do it. Not ourselves. That we cannot save even ourselves. Our hearts are prone to wander. Are prone to live the God we love. As the hymn says. But it is God who takes our hearts and seals it for the Lord above. Salvation is God's, is God's work. Salvation is God's work. Which means that uh, if you are going to spend an eternity with him, we should be trusting in God and not in ourselves. In what we can do to be accepted by God. What God is calling you and I to do is to trust in the one who can do it. He is the only one who can do it. And he does it willingly, as we have seen in the passage this morning. You and I are weak. We have struggles. But God can do it. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we praise you for Jesus, who is infinitely better than us. Lord, as we have seen this morning that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust in this Lamb, 
Do not think that we can save ourselves. Do not think that we need to, to be clean in order to come before you. Because that in itself is a, some sort of self-salvation. But to come to you as we are, Lord. To come with our faces down on our knees, saying we cannot do it. Only you can save. Lord, help us to trust in that. Because our temptation, even as Christians, is to think that we could do it on our own. That if we give this much money at church, if we don't swear, if we are not as corrupt as everyone else out there, if we come to church three, four times a month, then you will accept us. But the message that you've seen this morning that salvation comes through Christ alone who gives his life. That we who are wicked, lost, prone to wander could be brought into his family. We pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and let us sing together our last song, I think, in Christ alone.